Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I am Michael Kingswood, retired naval officer, Christian, dad, and writer extraordinaire. I mostly focus on science fiction and fantasy, but I've been known to write just about everything under the sun, including the occasional romance. The purpose of this podcast is to share my stories with you, the reading slash listening public. So sit back and relax, because I'm going to tell you the story. Hey friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It's story time. It's story Saturday. Because it's Saturday. Profound, I know. And we are just going to get right into it here today because I feel like it. We'll talk about all the fun stuff that's going on aside from this story after we're done. This story is number 46 from Stories from the Great Challenge. The Great Challenge being the cool writing challenge I did a couple years ago where I did a story a week at least for a year and all 52 got collected in this awesome collection that you can get anywhere great books are sold but best to come to where i point you at the end this is number 46 we're getting near the end of the collection here and it's called legacy legacy is a fantasy story it is set in my world of the glimmer veil chronicles which is the sword and sorcery series that uh, people know and love those who have read it and I love it too because I wrote it and I think it's fun even if I hadn't written it and um, there are six books in that series five short stories actually I wrote a sixth one here for this current writing challenge this year and there will probably be more written um, there will obviously be more written in fact I need to write book seven here this year too and a lot of stuff I got to do this year anyway <clears throat> The five stories, short stories that are currently written um, are in a bundle. Uh, stories from Glimmer Vale, Volume 1, and you can find them everywhere good books are sold, too. This one is Legacy. It's about a guy named Salam, who is one of the characters in the first book, Glimmer Vale, who we meet when our heroes get to, ta- heroes get to town. And this he's kind of a cool guy. I decided to write a little backstory about him. And here it is. Sit back, enjoy, and I'll talk to you with other great stuff after it's done. The sky was burning crimson on the eastern horizon. The sun's disk was a third of the way gone, down into her nighttime abode, and rays of red-orange streamed down through gaps in the partial cloud cover like spotlights, illuminating here and there bits of the rolling grassland before the ridge where Salam stood just a little bit brighter than the others. Some last remnant of light against the encroaching blackness, hanging on just a little bit longer than their fellows, despite the fell cast to that illumination. He shuddered, drawing his fine blue silk-cotton cloak tighter about his body despite a lack of physical chill. He watched the orb lower further, past the hill lands east of his home, and couldn't help but consider that he could relate to those little swaths of land, seemingly desperately clinging to whatever light they could. The swish of grass behind him brought Salam out of his reverie, and his hand went to the well-worn leather that wrapped the grip of his sword, master-crafted by Ferelio himself, and handed down to him from his father, as had been done for generations in his family. Without thinking about it, he bent his legs slightly, his muscles bundling as they tensed, ready to spring into action. But then the smell of horse and pipe tobacco reached his nose, along with a sweet sour that he could recognize almost anywhere. "'Good evening, brother,' Salam said, as he relaxed in his stance. The movement from behind him stopped, and Salam could imagine the look on Hafi's face. He was Salam's senior, but not as skilled in the martial ways as Salam, 
He always was surprised when Salam saw the obvious traces and signs that he himself missed. A rueful chuckle, and then Hafi stepped up beside him on his left. Hafi shook his head, his long black hair swaying in time with his movement, and his lips drawing upward into a wry grin, white teeth flashing stark contrast with the blackness of his beard. He was of a height with Salam, but plump about the middle. He wore his robes loosely, white and brown cotton that hung down to his ankles and would restrict his movements if it came down to a fight. But Hafi had never been one for the great contest. That's why he had inherited their father's business and Salam the sword. How do you always know it's me? Hafi asked. Salam sniffed. The cologne you wear. Its southern spices are unique here. And more than a little excessive, he didn't say. Hafi half chuckled again and raised a meaningful eyebrow Salam's way. The ladies of Tyrash certainly appreciate it. One wife is not sufficient for you? Would you seek two more? Three? Salam had lost track of how many mistresses Hafi had these days, and he really didn't want to know. The humor went out of Hafi's eyes, and his lips compressed into a scowl for a moment. But instead of replying, he looked away from Salam toward the setting sun, now barely visible as the last rim of glow against the darkness of the night all around. Hafi drew a breath. I met with Farouk today. The name sent a little tremor down Salam's spine. As the man holding the lion's share of the debt the family business owned, he would have more than a slight influence on their future. If there was to be any future. Not good news, I'm afraid, Hoffy rolled his shoulders slightly, then crossed his arms over his chest. He wants twenty thousand by next month. Twenty thousand? But we only owe fifteen. Hoffy shrugged. Late fees, and unpaid interest, and other matters. Salam looked sideways at his brother, and Hoffy did not meet his gaze. Had Hoffy taken to the gambling dens again? Not that it mattered. They couldn't have paid the sum if it had been five thousand. They were ruined. Salam looked down toward the hilt of his father's sword. Still bright despite the swiftly departing daylight, the pommel seemed to almost glow of its own accord. More than a dozen generations had borne this sword, in wartime and in peace, in wealth and in poverty, but always with honor. Their father had said that as long as it remained in their family, they had a future to be envied, no matter how dark the days might look at the time. But now, as the first light of the stars became clearly visible overhead, and the breeze seemed to already have become more cool as night crept over the land, Salam wasn't so sure he could believe that. They were going to lose father's business, because Hafi was too... No, he would not pass judgment on his elder brother. Hafi had inherited the business, and the right to direct it as he chose, and in truth he had often asked Salam's input, and he had not objected to Hafi's decisions, for the most part. But somehow, still here they were, about to lose it all. He ran the fingers of his left hand over the sword's pommel, and felt a bit of comfort. Not all. Salam felt Hafi's gaze on him, and he looked fully at his brother. Hafi's eyes flicked downward quickly, as though he were ashamed to meet his younger brother eye to eye. Then he visibly steeled himself and looked up. There was no defeat in Hafi's eyes. Unexpected, and when Salam saw that, his heart leapt. He reached out and clapped Hafi on the shoulder. We shall overcome this, my brother, he said. Our family will emerge stronger than ever. Hafi placed his hand over top Salam's, where it still rested on the meat of his shoulder, and nodded. Yes, we will. I have a plan. Salam raised a questioning eyebrow. Meet me at the Red Phoenix at midnight. His lips turned upward again into an eager grin. Tonight we shall save our family.
Salam knew of the Red Phoenix, and had been inside a handful of times, but never for long, and never so late as this. He had long ago forsook the call of late-night debauchery. A true acolyte of the Way of the Sword did not go down that path. It was destructive to body and spirit, ruining discipline and eating far too much into the day's work. He was not surprised that Hafi frequented the place, and at late hours, however. Again, the reason Salam had inherited the sword. The blocky stone of the tavern's building was unadorned, just a small sign posted above the dark wood of the double doors allowing entrance. In the daylight, it would show a broad-winged bird, wreathed in red flames, rising from a pile of ash, with the tavern's name written in script above the bird's beak. Now, a few minutes before midnight, the sign was barely visible in the flickering light of the twin burning torches that rested in sconces on either side of the doors. But the sign was unnecessary to those who knew Tyrash well. Having grown up here, that included Salam. Two thick-armed men in plain tunics stood on either side of the entrance doors. The one on the right looked Salam up and down appraisingly, and for a moment he thought the bouncer would try to make trouble. But then he just grunted and jerked his head toward the interior. It was more well-lit inside by oil lamps hanging on the bare wooden rafters and mounted in holders along the walls. Tobacco smoke wafted over the long, broad common room that made up most of the tavern's first floor, and there were seating for easily a hundred patrons. Ranging from bare wood benches, alongside equally unadorned tables at the front, to satin-cushioned divans at the rear, the tavern was equipped to cater to clientele of all levels of wealth. The central bar was circular, with stations at three positions where serving wedges could slide up to fill orders, and casks and more delicate flasks containing everything from the most rude ale from the savage wastes of the northeast to the finest wines from the western kingdoms were tended by a trio of bartenders in gray tunics who wore seemingly eternal smiles on their faces. A trio of dark-haired dancing wenches in sheer silks that barely concealed their charms swayed on the stage off to the left, moving to the beat of a pair of drummers, a flutist, and a pair of men playing stringed instruments Salam had seen before, but didn't know the name of. They produced a fine melody was all he knew, all he cared to know. A stairwell to the upper level was off to the right, and at a round table not far from the base of the stairs, Salam spied Hafi. His brother was standing there, in the same robes he had worn earlier in the night, with a tall, dark-haired youth. He was lean and muscled, and wore more tightly-fitting clothing than his father, the better to move efficiently in. Salam found his lips turning downward into a scowl as he saw his nephew lifting a goblet of what could only be wine to his lips. He had been training the lad, barely thirteen now, in the ways of the sword, as was fitting the men of their family. This was not part of the way. "'Ah, brother,' Hafi said as Salam approached, and reached out to grasp him on the shoulder in greeting. "'Will you take wine? This will be a great night.' Salam kept his eyes on his nephew, who swallowed and slowly lowered the cup to the table. He met Salam's eyes for a moment, but only a moment, instead looking down at the tabletop, abashed. "'No,' Salam said, finally looking up at Hafi, who had noted his son's embarrassment and had lost some of his enthusiastic expression. "'We have business,' you said?' Hafi let go of Salam's shoulder and nodded. Gesturing toward the stairs, he said, They are waiting for us. Who? Instead of answering, Hafi turned toward his son. Mizra, your uncle and I have business to attend to. Wait for us here. Mizra nodded, still not meeting Salam's eyes. Then Hafi turned and ascended the stairs. Salam didn't follow for a moment, just looking at his pupil and unsure what, if anything, to say. Instead, he turned and followed his brother upstairs. It was more quiet and less smoky in the upper level. 
The stairs emerged into a broad hallway, walled in stone like the rest of the building and floored in the same unpolished material, though covered in red rugs with golden fringes that looked like they were worth a small fortune each. The hallway took them past a pair of doors stained the same shade as the double doors leading into the tavern proper, then stopped at a third door that looked somehow more ornate than the other two, though Salam could not have said what exactly it was that gave that impression. Hafi knocked twice, and a moment later the door opened, and Salam followed him inside. The man sitting on the divan in the center of the room was the largest Salam had ever seen, but not in a righteous way. His fat rolled lasciviously beneath the loose silk of his silver-blue robes, and his jowls swayed grotesquely with every movement of his head. He was bald, his cheeks rouged to make his pale skin seem more pink, and he had small, pig-like eyes that flashed blue in the lamplight. But despite his slothful, indolent appearance, there was a sharpness in his gaze and an aura of danger about him. Salam knew him by description, though he had never met the man before, and immediately he felt the hair on the back of his neck stand up. What sort of deal was Hoffy getting them into here? Hoffy, the man on the divan, said, "'Good of you to come.' He made a vague sort of waving gesture that almost seemed too lazy to be a dismissal. But the two girls who were lounging on the divan next to him, in silks that were even more sheer than the dancers below, leaning their lithe young bodies up against his bulk on either side of his frame, immediately sprang to their feet and scampered off through a small doorway to the left. The door they exited through was pulled closed by a muscular man in a fighter's tunic who wore a broad, curved blade on his right hip, and he looked at Salam with a frankly assessing gaze. He was not the only fighting man in the room. Now that he was over his initial surprise at seeing the fat man they were dealing with, Salam noted no less than half a dozen guards standing unobtrusively, but alertly, in all corners of the square, tapestry-bedecked room. He was liking this situation less and less, and was just about to pull Hoffy by the shoulder to make him leave, when Hoffy instead stepped directly in front of the fat man and made a half-bow to him. Acharo, he said, thank you for seeing us at this late hour. The name confirmed Salam's suspicions, and he wanted to leave even more strongly. Acharo had a reputation in Tyrash. Seemly men did not do business with him. Whatever this was, Salam was certain he wanted no part of it. I was about to ask whether you brought it, but I see you have, Acharo said, his gaze leaving Hafi to rest fully upon Salam, and in particular on his left hip. For Elio's work, you say. If that holds up, you'll get every penny. Salam froze, and his left hand went to his sword, his thumb wrapping around the middle of the crosspiece to keep it firmly in place within its scabbard. Poffy, what is this? he said, but he already knew, and he turned accusing eyes on his brother. He didn't even have the grace to look embarrassed. He met Salam's gaze and said nothing. You would sell our father's sword, our family legacy, to this... this... Salam gestured with his right hand toward the grotesque man lounging before him, unable to give words to his thoughts about the merchant. "'I would save our family legacy,' Hafi said, moving a step closer to Salam. "'There are less than twenty weapons from Ferelia's forge left in the world. That sword is worth ten times what we owe to Farouk, and Achara will pay it. With that much, we can secure our family's future forever.' "'This sword is our family's future,' Salam spat back. Father said, I know what father said, Hafi said, with a heat and a spitefulness that Salam had never heard from him before. Then he snorted, meaningless words. I'm talking about gold in our hands. We can buy another sword. Salam shook his head and stepped back from his brother. 
He lowered into a crouch, and his right hand found the grip of his sword, bearing the first two inches as he twisted his torso slightly. Acharo sighed, rolling his little eyes toward the ceiling. Hoffi said you might object, he said, but it hardly matters. The arrangements are already made. He raised his left hand and made a swirling little gesture with it. The subtlest of sounds from behind announced the movement of a guard that Salam hadn't seen yet. Moving from instinct, he twisted to his right, drawing and cutting downward even as he got out of reach of the grasping hand that had been reaching for him. Salam's sword met the guard's arm at the elbow. Blood and forearm both went flying, and the guard stumbled backward against the wall, screaming in sudden anguish as his one remaining hand clamped against the suddenly gushing wound. Movement erupted all around him. Guards moved toward him from all sides, drawing steel as they advanced. Acharo bounded up from his divan with surprising speed and grace for one of his bulk, then headed toward the same door the two girls had vanished through. And then Salam could spare attention to nothing but the approaching guards. The first two were clumsy, half-trained, and unused to coordinating with each other. Salam easily sidestepped a thrust from the one, and watched as the mist sent the guards stumbling forward and into the path of his comrades cut. A chagrined shout from the second guardsman mirrored the first cry of anguish as the blow struck him where the neck meets the shoulder. Then Salam was dancing around the still-flailing man and slipping the tip of his blade into the other's armpit, puncturing lung and heart before moving past him. Both guardsmen fell behind Salam, and he saw there were only two remaining. The muscular man who had been eyeing him before was closing the door off to the side where Acharo had fled, and there were just this pair to face him. From the looks on their faces, they wished to be just about anywhere else but right there. Five seconds later, they were off to the next world and whatever lay in store for them. Hopefully a good reward. Despite their fear, they were brave men and had met their fate standing up with all the skill they had. The fact that their skill was insufficient was not a blemish on their souls. There was always someone better out there. Breathing deeply but with controlled, steady breaths, Salam turned around to see Hoffi standing where he had been when the confrontation first began. His eyes were wide, but not from fright or surprise. He had sparred with Salam many times when they were growing up, had seen him fight in actual battles before. Hoffi knew Salam's skill. No, they were wide with chagrin, even anger. You fool, Hoffi spat. You've ruined us. I? It was not I who buried himself in debt. Hoffi shook his head. No, that was father. I tried to tell you, but you wouldn't hear it. He could do no wrong in your eyes, the gallant swordsman, the noble warrior. Hoffi's mouth twisted in disgust. The spendthrift and the gambler, the whoremonger. The devil, you say. Salam found himself advancing on his brother, fiery anger flaring within his soul. It's true, brother. Hoffi moved to his left, keeping the distance between himself and Salam constant. He left that business in debt, and it's been all I can do to stop it from going under for years. Well, I can't stop it anymore. His eyes flicked from Salam's face to the sword and back. I could have, though. I am the firstborn. The sword should have been mine by right. You chose a different path. The sword is... I know what the sword is. Hoffy's shot practically shook the walls. That's all I ever heard of growing up, all father ever focused on, and what good did it do? He shook his head, stopping beside one of the fallen guards. He focused on it so much, he's destined us, destined his grandson, to be paupers. Our family has been poor before. We... No, Hoffy said. In one quick, smooth motion, he crouched down and grasped the fallen guard's sword. You can delude yourself if you like, but I will not live as a pauper, and neither will Misra. Then he launched himself at Salam. He was taken aback, both by the ferocity of his brother's attack, 
and by the fact that he was making the attack at all. For a heartbeat, Salam stood still in stunned disbelief. Then he spun to the side, leaving Hafi's blade to sing through the air where he had been moments before. Salong backpedaled, keeping his sword up at a guard, but no more. Brother, stop, he said. We can... Hafi's feral growl overwhelmed Salam's words, and again Salam had to dodge aside to avoid being skewered. But Hafi kept on coming, and Salam kept falling back. From somewhere beneath the sounds of their fight, below the moans of the lone living guard, still clutching at the stump of his right arm, Salam heard shouts and screams from down below in the tavern's front room. Word on what had happened up here was spreading. Soon someone would come up to check what was going on, and then... Salam's thigh struck something hard and he glanced down. He had hit the side of the divan. He looked back up to see Hafi's sword coming in again. Without thinking, Salam executed a spiraling parry that ended with Hafi's sword skittering across the floor to the left and a bloody gash across his right cheek. Hafi took a half-step back, his left hand rising to his cheek. He had a look of surprise on his face, like he had never conceived that such a thing could happen. No less than Salam felt, he lowered his sword. I'm sorry, brother, I... Hafi's sudden surge forward caught him unaware, and Salam froze again, this time for too long. Hafi's hands clamped down around the grip of Salam's sword and began twisting. Salam was the stronger of the two of them. It had been thus for years, but now, this night, he found he could not resist the power of his brother's arms. Slowly, inexorably, the point of Salam's sword moved, twisting and rising until it was pointing upward between them. Hafi grinned in sudden, mad triumph. Then he hurled himself onto the point of the sword. It was like the world went into slow motion. Salam heard himself cry out a denial, but it was from far away, in a distant country. Hafi's body slid further down onto his blade, and he saw the pain in his brother's eyes, but also resolve and spite. What will you do now, my brother? asked Hafi in a hoarse whisper. Then his eyes glazed over, his breath rattled, and he went limp. The world returned to normal speed and Salam pushed backwards, pulled the sword from his brother's body even as his mind screamed at him that this could not really be happening. The door burst open to the side and Salam heard Misra's voice, Father! The youth broke off when he took in the scene. Salam turned to see his nephew's eyes grow wide with shock, then grief. Misra, Salam began, then the youth's eyes met his, and grief turned to terrible anger. Salam knew the young man would have a sword and be on him in a heartbeat. He also knew he could easily defeat Misra. He was good, but he had far too much still left to learn. But Salam had seen more than enough blood for one night, precious blood that he never thought to spill. He saw a second door off to the left, between a pair of tapestries that had been knocked askew. He charged through it, then down the passage beyond, toward the back of the tavern. Coward! He heard Misra cry from behind him. He found a set of stairs leading downward, and he followed them. Salam was still running when dawn began to glimmer, bright and pure, in the sky to the west. He had been running that direction ever since he emerged from the tavern's back door, ever since exiting one of Tyrash's half a dozen gates, somehow getting there ahead of the news of the events at the Red Phoenix. He ran until he had no strength left, but still he continued on. Now as the light of the new day bit into his eyes, eyes that could barely see from the tears still flowing from them, Salam finally slowed down to a jog, and then a walk. Then he collapsed onto his knees and yelled. He yelled out the anger, the anguish of the night, 
at that glowing orb that was slowly pushing its way up from where it had gone to bed a seeming lifetime ago. He yelled until his throat was hoarse, then he sank back down onto his haunches and lowered his eyes. The glint of steel drew his gaze, and he realized with a start that he was still carrying his father's sword, unsheathed in his right hand. Sunlight glinted off the gray-blue of the curved, finely honed blade, off the intricate engraving on the flat of the blade. Game animals and constellations and weapons and men and horses all twisted into one mass of art that would have been garish, should have been garish, but somehow was instead sublime. He looked at all that, and at the red stain of blood still coating the cutting edge in some places. His brother's blood, along with others. Salam raised his hand and drew back his arm, intending to just throw the sword away. Except at the last second, the newly dawned sunlight flashed against the pommel, the rounded metal that his father had made him trace with his fingertips countless times when he was a boy. This was his family's legacy. His family's future. Hoffie had not seen that, not believed it. He had strayed from the path, and it had driven him, if not mad, at least to his end. If Salam were to cast aside his legacy now after all this, what would he be? And could he ever face his father without shame when they met again in the next world? He lowered his arm again, letting the sword drop into the grass next to his knee. Then he drew a deep breath. Salam looked over his shoulder to the east, toward Tyrash and the home he had always known. He could never go back there. Maybe if he had not run, he could have explained, but running as he had, Misra would be past all convincing and the authorities would have come to the same conclusion his nephew had. Back was impossible, so it must be forward. Salam looked to the west, to the strange lands and unfamiliar kingdoms that lay toward the direction of the sunrise. Then slowly and deliberately, he cleaned the blade from his family's sword and sheathed it. And he rose and took his first steps toward those distant lands. Okay, so, not exactly a happy story for Salam, um, but it kind of explains how part of what he's doing in that village. Because <laughs> when they when they show up in to the town of Lyttleton in the first book, and he's there, and they're like, this guy's not from here. How'd he get here? What? Huh? And especially with the skills he has, and it's sort of a question uh, that... Uh, I decided to answer because it, it was fun to write it. So I hope you guys like that. And if you want to see a little bit more about what goes on with him and the rest of the dashing heroes in the Glimmervale stories, go pick up the Glimmervale Chronicles books. You can pick up all my books. Best place to pick up all my books is <clears throat> through michaelkingswood.com slash store. That'll get you over to the SSN Storytelling Bookstore, SSN Storytelling, is the business entity dealing with my stuff. And uh, that'll get all my stuff pretty much in any format you want. I've, um, actually, I've made good progress on putting the paperbacks back in there vice the other uh, distribution venue that they used to be into. Uh, so <clears throat> there's even less reason to go to the other major retailers. Uh, of course, you can. All my stuff's in Barnes Noble and Kobo and Amazon and Apple Books and all the other great places. Better to come to me because more profit here. And also a direct customer to producer relationship and 
It's like going to your farmer's market, right? Better than going to the big grocery store. Same thing. Same thing. Right. <laughs> so what else is going on in the uh, Kingswood writing world? Well, I mentioned this. <coughs> I think I mentioned this before, but if I haven't yet, this week I got the final proof reading notes back from the proofreader who uh, was handling stories that are going into the first collection for this year, the uh, 52 stories in 2023 volume one, which was kickstarted about a month and a half ago. Uh, So I've been (coughs) got those notes back and finally been entering those proofreading corrections in the last few days. Uh, So we're going to be starting delivering of the Kickstarter rewards to the people who backed it. It's probably starting next week at the electronic awards. Anyway, uh, the print versions obviously will take a little bit longer because it takes longer to produce a print book. Cause you gotta, you know, the formatting is not all that much different, but at least with the tools I use, but, uh, the, the approval process for getting it and checking it and make sure it's printed the right way. And it's not all screwed up. It takes a little bit longer. And then of course there's shipping time. So, I'm I'm thinking end of the month for the paperback versions that are going to go to the various backers. So that's all uh, just about ready to be squared away and done. So that's good. And good timing too, because this past week finished story number 19 on the year. And since these bundles, since the plan for this year is to do these collections and five collections of 10, well, four of 10, one of 12, that means it's time to get ready to do volume two. Thus, I've created the Kickstarter campaign for it. It's in coming soon mode right now, but you can go there. And if you're at all interested in, uh, if you backed volume one and want to back volume two, two, cool. Or if you haven't, don't know what the hell I'm talking about with this volume one, volume two thing, you're curious, want to go see what it is, go there. It's a coming soon page. You can click the little notification button so you can get told immediately when it launches, you can come and support of course, I'm going to tell people here on the videos and I'm going to do streaming and I'm going to tell emails to everybody in the planet that I know and all my email lists and all that stuff. But, you know, avoid the middleman, get straight from Kickstarter. Hey, just like avoiding the middleman for the retailers, come straight to uh, my web store. Hey, it works out great both ways. So <clears throat> that is good stuff going on in both regards. Yeah. So that's what's going on there. What else is new? That's really it. I'm recording this on Thursday instead of on Saturday because on Saturday I'm going to be busy all day. Some fun stuff that I never thought would happen. Uh, Thanks to the uh, Supreme Court, I got approved for a California concealed carry permit. Holy smokes. But I got to take a course for it, even though I've got decades of experience with firearms. Eh, They make you take a course someday. I'm doing that on Saturday. So I won't have time to record on Saturday, so I'm recording now. Oh, well, that's going to be fun. Uh, So that's really all I got. Hope you liked this story. If you liked this story, come back next week. Next week is going to be story number 47. Number 47 story is called Sea Legs. This is, uh, if I remember right, a shipwreck story of sorts. Um, It's been a while since I read it, so... (laughs) I know it's about sea, being at sea, and I know it's about getting shipwrecked. I don't remember much more than that. Come by. You can discover next week what happens. Um, of course, if you 
dig what I'm doing here and you haven't already subscribed to the podcast or the video channel that you're watching from or listening to it from, what are you doing? Get over here and subscribe and hit like and tell all your buddies and uh, come back next week. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. For information on all my books, visit michaelkingswood.com or visit my web store at ssnstorytelling.com. My books are all available through all the various e-tailers, but buying direct from me nuts me the most profit. For information on new releases and other special deals in the future, sign up for my newsletter on my website. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyrighted Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music is copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved.